Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Welcome to Masterclass Theology. I am Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. I'm Crockpot. And we are in Isaiah chapter 11 tonight. This is our fourth session in our Isaiah series. And it's been, a, it's been a great series so far. We've had a lot of wonderful discussions. And Isaiah is, is surprisingly, shockingly a story of hope. And in, in, in the midst of all the, that the nations were going through, of, of, that Judah was going through with all the geopolitical things, that we have hope. So let's open with a word of prayer. I know uh, I myself need prayer tonight, and I bet our listeners could use some prayer as well. Uh, we, we also remember... Uh, the state of Florida right now, which is is being hit by a, a, a really, really hard, hard hurricane. God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the, the my friends, John and Mick. And they they joined me tonight on this podcast. And God, we, we are so grateful for your faithfulness to us. Even when we go through really hard times, we remember the state of Florida as Hurricane Ian has already done one pass and is threatening further damage. And God, we pray for all, all the lives that are just uprooted right now and the, the homes that are being destroyed and the, the families that are afraid. And, and God, there's just a lot going on right now, but we know you're faithful. We know you, that we can depend upon you and we can trust you. And so we just give you, we, we, just, we just pray for our brothers and sisters out in Florida right now. And, and we remember, God, that, that, that you care for us and that we can cast our anxieties upon you, that you are a faithful God and you care. And you were, you were a faithful God in the time of Judah, and you're a faithful God right now. And so we just give this time to you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are in Isaiah chapter 11. And I just need to get my questions here. Hold on a second. Okay, so we're going to do kind of a recap as an introduction. So John's going to get us started, then Mick, then myself. And so, John, if you'll get us going here... We're looking at this is session four. We've we've had session one, two, and three already. So, John, if you could just briefly recap Judah's situation that we've seen so far in session one, the session two, and session three, kind of like what what have they gone through as a nation? Yeah. So Judah's time as a as an intact and independent nation is quickly running out. They're in a very tight place politically and militarily. So the northern kingdom of Israel, of which they were formerly a part, has not only abandoned the faith, but has gone their own way. They've, sorry, they've, they've abandoned their faith and, you know, kind of gone their own way spiritually. So you have that going on, but then they've also teamed up and joined some of the surrounding nations, and now they're assaulting the Jewish capital of Jerusalem. Meanwhile, Judah is also facing a big, even bigger threat, really, from the nation of Assyria to the northeast, which is this big growing superpower, and they have now targeted Jerusalem. And the worst part is Judah's spiritual state is following close behind that of northern Israel. You know, they've, they've, uh, they've abandoned serious, genuine worship of God and, and really have just given into this very superficial, superficial, inauthentic form of worship. They're starting to give in to idol worship and going the way of their uh, northern counterparts. So yeah, things not looking good for Judah. 
That's a really good summary there, John. Thank you so much, Mick. Uh, we've this is this is masterclass theology. So so we've our journey is a, is a biblical one, and also we draw theology out of it, uh, out of God's word. So if you could briefly recap just the, the theological the, the applications we've drawn from sessions one, two, and three, kind of leading us up to this point. Sure, Joel. Um, the big thing that has been happening in these chapters that we've covered, even the ones in between that we haven't covered, is is the message of repent. Don't be fake. Don't hide behind religion. Don't give religion a bad name. You know, trust Jesus. Uh, it, it's amazing how much Jesus we're getting here in the Old Testament. And, and that's, again, then that's with us skipping chapters here, mind you. And there's still a lot more to come. So, so stay tuned, believer. And the, our, our, our journey in Isaiah is, is one of hope. Thank you, Mick. Our, one of hope here. And, and where, where we kind of landed the plane each night in, in session one, uh, we, we were in chapter one, and we, and, and we looked at this very idea. Our hope came from the fact that though our sins would be scarlet, that there would be, they'd be white as snow. And it was setting this framework for something amazing to happen, that there could be a transformation, that, that maybe our sins wouldn't be the final chapters of our books, that there's, there could be something, there should be a basic hope there. And we couldn't exactly pin that right on Jesus and on the cross, but it, because it doesn't necessarily let chapter lead right to that, but it surely gives a, a foundation and a foreshadowing for that. And, and, and then we, we saw this idea of, uh, of the virgin would be with, being with child and God would be with them. And so king, the king was faced with a hard geopolitical situation and God entered in that situation and through the prophet Isaiah said, hey, calm down. And if you don't stand firm right now, you've got no firmness at all. And guess what? I'm going to give you a sign and I'm going to be with you. There's going to be a child born that's going to symbolize the fact that I'm with you. And, the, and these enemies you think you have, they're not going to be around anymore. You just got to trust me right now. And there's a hope there when we trust God, when we know that he's with us. And it gives us that, that basic hope that we're not alone. And then so last session, session three, it built upon that Emmanuel prophecy with the fact that, that there was going to be a son that was born and a child that was, or that was given. There's, there's a child is born, a son is given, that God's going to give a son and that son is not going to be an ordinary child. That son's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, a Mighty God, an Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. There's something going on there as well. It looks like God is going to enter into our stories. And that he's not just going to be this construct of God being with us, but he's actually going to take flesh. And so we're, we're, we're looking forward to God taking flesh and how that would impact our stories as God would, would, and as part of that, there's a great transformation, and 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 the, the the land that had no hope in Zebulun and Naphtali, the Galilee of the Gentiles, a light was going to shine, and there was going to be a transformation and a reversal, and war was going to end. So we're expecting a lot that's going to come through that child, and we hope, and and we there's hope there because not only are we not alone, but God's at work, and God's going to take care of His business. And that we, the we who trust God know that God has all of our times in his hand. There's something going on there just because we can turn to this child who's called mighty God. And there's, there's, some, there's something amazing and blessed there that we can get to hang on to, even as we go through really hard times. And so that's been sessions one, two, and three.
It's been a great journey so far. It's a journey rooted in history, a journey full of theology, and a journey just pregnant with hope. And so we start now with verse 1 in chapter 11. There shall come forth from a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So, John, we'll start with you. What purpose does linking Jesse here instead of David? Because right. we're used to hearing David's name in the streets. Right. We're not used to hearing his pops. So what mm. purpose does Isaiah serve here linking Jesse instead of David? Yeah, yeah, good question. So it gives a sense of humility to this Messiah figure. Elsewhere, of course, you know, his divinity and his right to rule are underscored by connecting him with King David. But here the goal is to stress his humble origins. Um, also, possibly it, it helps to indicate the Messiah's connection to Bethlehem as Jesse is first introduced as a Bethlehemite. And Bethlehem means house of bread. And, and Jesse's introduced in 1 Samuel 17 as an old man, just, just an old man from the house of bread. And that's where the Messiah comes from. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's right, right away, it builds upon this idea of unto us a son is given. And so it's a son was given to Jesse and many sons, but only one was the mm -hmm. one chosen. Yeah, it, it's almost like it's rooting this Messiah figure from David's line, but, but David's historical line through his dad. It's great. Right. All right. So he mentions here, um, it's a stump. And a stump seems like it's a, we, 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 when we see the word stump, we think of a tree, a tree that's not in a really good spot. So what, what's the state of this tree mentioned here? And how does that tie to Judah uh, in this, in the book of Isaiah? So is the, does, does this tree tie to Judah in any way? Yeah, it does. In Isaiah six, Judah is compared to a stump in that it was, it was once this great tree of a nation, but it's been cut down. It's people scattered. And the remnant, the part left stuck in the earth, is scorched and weathered by this drawn-out conflict with Assyria. So in other words, part mm -hmm. of the tree remains, but it's not what it once was by any means. It's suffered defeat and great loss, almost to the point of annihilation. And yet we see here in Isaiah 11 that not all is lost for this saddled stump in the earth. There shall come forth right. from... There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from its roots shall bear fruit, 11.1. And if you keep reading, we'll see exactly what that new fruit-bearing branch is. Mm. It's great. I, I, I know when, it, when I've seen my neighbors pull trees out of the, out of the yard, you, you get those stumps up. They don't look like much, but they have roots. Right. And so there's a, there's some, there. there's a basic hope there. A stump still has roots. And, and here... Uh, this stump is, I love how you tied that to the remnant. They're rooted in God. And here, even, even though the big tree has been cut down, there's hope. I love that. Totally. And I, I think that's going to play into our story here. So that's verse one, verse two, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Well, my goodness, Mick, would you unpack this for us? And just, if you would describe kind of how this Messiah figure is going to be empowered to rule. Yeah. Oh my God. There really is so much to unpack here. So clearly this is talking about Jesus, the Messiah, the spirit of the Lord resting upon him. Um, this was said of David when, when Samuel anointed him as king and of which Jesus is, is a king of, from the line of, of, of David. And, and it's amazing how all of the, the foreshadowing that's going on here, but, but it doesn't stop there. Spirit of wisdom, 
spirit of understanding, spirit of counsel and might, knowledge and, and the fear of the Lord. Let me read from Revelation 1-4 really quick. Grace to you and peace from him who is and was and is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne. Um, it seems like, like the seven spirits in Revelation is very similar to, to the spirit here in Isaiah, where basically the spirit is being named with a particular attribute of God. And this is not very uncommon. I mean, this happens with God himself throughout the Old Testament, um, where, where he is known as Jehovah Jireh, God provider, Jehovah Rapha, God our healer, Jehovah Nisi, God our, our war band, just, just to name a few. Um, and the biggest point of this verse, however, being that Jesus, that the Messiah, Jesus was going to be indwelt with, by the spirit and, and the spirit would fill Jesus with wisdom, understanding, might, knowledge. There, there's, there, there's a lesson in here for, for all of us. As Jesus needed the spirit as a man in this sinful world, so do we. And, and with all the more reason. Amen. So we see here that there's this Messiah that's going to be drawn from this, this root of Jesse, this, this stump of Jesse, this tree, this fallen tree of Judah. And here there's hope there. And so we're expecting hope to be tied to this Messiah. This Messiah is going to be empowered for great ministry. Then verses three to five, it speaks of how he's going to do his business. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And so right away here, we see the Messiah. He's going to be king. He's going to have a kingdom. We were told that last session with this, this child that was given this unto us in, in, in Isaiah 9, that his kingdom is going to have no end. He's going to reign on David's throne forever. And, and the zeal of the Lord Almighty is going to, 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 to accomplish this. And so right away, the, he, the, these verses are telling us what kind of king he's going to be. He's not going to be a king that is led by the kind of like the fallen human, human spirit where the previous kings of Judah, most of those kings were just, they were corrupt. They lived for themselves. And every single king up north in Israel was corrupt. There were only a handful that did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But right away here, there, there's been far too many, even, even kings in David's line that were absolutely just rotten. And they did not rule out of any concern for God at all. They only ruled about... They only were really concerned about maintaining their own power, and that's all that really mattered to them. And so uh, this king, as he judges, he's not going to keep up appearances. We kind of get the idea in these verses that whoever's doing this judging is, is doing so to maintain appearances. So maybe there's, there's things going on there in the case, and he wants to be seen a certain way, and so he wants the outcome to be a certain way to kind of uplift his image and maybe he'll have a bias in favor of the powerful because the powerful might be able to offer a bribe. Uh, well, but here it's, it's, it's this king is going to care about what is right. His judgments are going to be based upon the creator himself. And he's actually not going to play games with the wicked and let the wicked stay around. He's going to slay the wicked. He's going to offer justice. He's going to live and rule and judge based upon righteousness. 
So much so there's going to be like a belt around his waist, holding everything together and faithfulness even closer to his loins than that. So this king, this Messiah is going to do things the right way. He's going to do things God's way. And we expect that because this Messiah, dare we say from last week, is going to be a son that was born, but he's going to be called God. So we're expecting him to be God. We're expecting him to live and rule in a way that treats the poor as they need to be treated, that cares about justice, that cares about equal treatment under the law, that cares about all the things that all the other kings, even in David's line, didn't care about. So right away, this Messiah is going to do things different. And that's verses three to five. So next, we're going to go through verses six to nine. And let me scroll down on my page here so I can be able to read. You can't see this on your end, but By the way, okay. do, you guys think, do you guys think that Paul read Isaiah? Any chance? In what way? Seeing some, uh, some strong parallels here. Oh, I, I'm going to go on a, on, on, a, on a, he definitely memorized it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he cites it big time in, in to, chapters uh, nine and, and 10 there. And I mean, really throughout his epistles, he cites him heavily totally. as the rest of the New Testament. Right. All right. Verses six and nine. Yeah, de definitely. Paul, Paul, the master theologian himself. And so this is, this is a, a kind of a, a future image here, but it's a very famous future image. A lot of people who have even casually read Isaiah are familiar with what we're going to talk about the rest of our time today. Six to nine. And then uh, John and Mick are going to help us with this. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leper shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Well, my friend Crockpot, what is Isaiah's basic purpose here in these verses? Yeah, good question. When I read this, and when I read any, anything, any scripture passage that's uh, talking about nature, and especially about like man's relationship to nature, I'm always reminded of um, creation. It always kind of stirs up images of, of creation for me. And I think that's often, more often than not, intentional on the, on the biblical author's part. Um, so here in verses six to nine, basically what we see is, is a sharp contrast to the world as we know it, the post-Genesis three, post-sin, post-fall world. In our world, the world that we're used to, enmity is normal and it's everywhere, right? Between man and beast, between beasts of different kinds, especially between the aggressive and the passive or um, like, you know, between predators and prey, even between man and the earth itself. But Isaiah is saying that all of that is going to change under the reign of this messianic king. You, you won't have enmity between organisms. You won't have one creature living at the expense of another. This king will have the ultimate dominion of peace, and he'll be utterly unique in that regard. So it's a return to the world as God intended it, the Genesis 1 and 2 world. Only now, instead of the Garden of Eden, the heaven on earth, if you want to call it that, will be Jerusalem, God's holy mountain, Mount Zion. 
the seat of the of the the seat of the Messiah's authority and the physical place from which he reigns. And I love the closing line of this passage, verse 9b, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, what ultimately defines the reign of this messianic king is the widespread and undisputed understanding of who God is, which is exactly what we've been longing for. Amen. That was, that was, that was a great great understanding of, of, of what Isaiah is essentially trying to communicate to us, or at least to the original readers. But what about for us, Professor D? Do these promises, and these are, these are famous promises, and if you think about them, they don't make a lot of biological sense, because we're not expecting some of those animals to eat like the other animals do, and, and no, no hurting or destroying. So do, do these promises have an application for us today, Professor D? Oh, man. Well, how can I put this? Part of me hopes not. Well, I love the part about not being eaten by animals. I'd hate to be a vegan. I really enjoy my my meat Amen. eating years right now while while we still have them. So that's about the only good thing on this <laughs> side of eternity. Maybe um, I do love being a carnivore. Uh, but uh, does this does this have application for us today? I don't really think that this is about application so much as, as it is about expectation. He he's telling us how things are going to be. Uh, this is something that that will happen after Jesus' second coming. Um, this is something that still to be looked forward to. Um, our great comfort comes in knowing that if Jesus fulfilled part one of his kingdom agenda, and uh, I got to say, I, I, I feel like I sound like an awful lot like Tony Evans here saying kingdom agenda. Um, if he fulfilled the really difficult part of going to the cross and dying for sins, you better believe that this will one day happen. Um, if there is any application here, I, I say the big application here is that to believe because, again, he did the hard part already. By comparison, that's going to be easy. Mm. He did the difficult part, the painful part. This is going to be the pleasurable part. So if he did the, 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 the painful part, you better believe he's going to follow through with the pleasurable part. Amen. And, and about that day, Isaiah continues, and we're going to have a uh, crockpot professor D help walk us through these as well, but it's 10 through 16. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. So it sounds like this translation kind of has like the bat signal in mind because usually and other translations that speak about a banner. And so that's the idea of a signal, I guess. There shall be a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamat, from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal or a banner for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand over the river, 
and his, and his scorching breath will strike it into seven channels. And he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria and the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. Wow. My goodness. So, so we'll start with you, Crockpot. If, if you would kind of give us what, just regarding the Messiah and the nations here, because there's a lot of nations listed here. So regarding that, what is this day that Isaiah is picturing? What does that day look like regarding the Messiah and all the nations here? Yeah, well, from the nation's perspective, the day of the Messiah spells victory and preeminence for Israel while it spells destruction for them, right? But there's, fortunately, there's always purpose in the destruction that God allows to happen when it's the destruction of Israel on the one hand by way of conquest and captivity it always serves it serves like a corrective and rest restorative purpose but what about for the Gentiles you know when God's favor returns to his people seemingly at their expense the nation's expense well I think the answer to that is back in verse 10 in that day the root of Jesse who will stand as a signal for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place not resting places in burial place but his place of dwelling his residence jerusalem his resting place shall be glorious in other words israel will finally be as god intended her and that's an eminently good thing for the nations for the gentiles exodus 19 6 says and you israel shall be to me god a kingdom of priests and a holy nation so they're intended to be the mediators to the world of god of who he is of his blessings and clearly they've failed to do that in the absence of this perfect messianic king, Emmanuel, God in the flesh. But once he appears as a signal to the nations, now, now the nations get to share in those privileges of being chosen by God to know his character and his love and his holiness and his blessings. Wow. And Professor D, so, so John gave us regarding the Messiah and the nations here. So what about regarding the Messiah and now the remnant? So God's people himself, what does that day look like for, for God and his people? Well, this is a very beautiful image of, of Jesus bringing together this amazing uh, homecoming of the children of Israel. And by Israel, I mean both houses, because at this point, he's referring to right. both kingdoms, the northern kingdom that was named Israel or Ephraim sometimes, and Judah. Um, so this, this is a really beautiful picture of what God... Is, is going to do. He's going to bring them all back home. He's going to reconcile all of them. Well, the remnant of them, all, of both of them. Uh, and, and that it doesn't matter how far and wide they've been scattered. And he mentions a lot of places. And in there, you know, speaking of the foreshadowing, he mentions Shinar, which happens to be Babylon. And we know that that's going to be down the road as well. Um, and, he's going to, and he's going to reestablish both houses into one whole again Israel and, and Israel is going to be united in a shalom kingdom you know mm -hmm. under the Messiah Jesus Israel is going to be dominant and and, and she's going to wipe out the, her enemies which, which happen to be the enemies of God I wanted to ask both of you guys uh, before we move on to our final part here is this 
Would you say this is describing what some theologians believe to be the millennial kingdom of Christ? Is, I, is this I that time so. period? I think so. Yeah, that's how it looks to me. Okay. Because it's very tempting, especially those of us who read, who are who to tend to take things, uh, the, the symbols and, and the predictions literally, then we're looking for a thousand year reign. Mm. And for those of us who look at that thousand years and say, well, that's a very convenient number where that's like the second highest number that, that the Greek language had. So maybe there's something larger going on there, maybe not literally a thousand years, but at some point the Messiah is going to reign. And so it looks like Isaiah is peeking ahead here and he's predicting something amazing about the Messiah that he's going to rule, he's going to reign. And we learned last week that the, the, the bloody war garments are not going to be around anymore because the war is going to be done. Mm -hmm. And we know on the cross, Jesus says it is finished. Yeah. So we understand that you know, the war, I don't think, rages on anymore. The war is finished. Battles may rage on. We're not taking Satan for granted or any of the enemy. We're not taking it for granted. You know, our, Paul was very clear in Ephesians 6. Our wars, our battles are you know, not against flesh and blood but the Messiah has won and we wait for his eventual reign full and final. And it's with that in mind that I, I want to give us, you know, I thank I thank you crockpot. Thank you for professor, professor D for helping us walk through uh, some, some very intriguing uh, verses tonight. I would like to close our time here just with some hope. And as, as we do every single session, we end with where's the hope here. And so you, you, you look, I, I, I kind of broke it down really briefly in the past, present, and future. And I put that past, present, and future in terms of us, the listener here. So not in terms of what the text says, because uh, the text has some present and some future going on here as well. But I look from our past, and I'm really encouraged. What gives me hope regarding the past is that with Judah here, there's a fallen tree. There's a stump. And from that stump, a shoot is going to come out of that stump. So a new tree is going to form. So what, what that, how that gives me hope is that each of our pasts is broken. Each of our pasts has been broken, possibly messy. You may look at your past and say, gosh, I'm defeated. Well, it gets no more defeated than a chopped down tree. God uses that broken, messy past. He's able to use that past for his glory and, if we trust him, for our ultimate good. There's hope there, even if we've had to go through a lot. And about our present, we love the fact that the Messiah is ruling right now. I love the image. I know from Isaiah's perspective, it was a future image, but we might be seeing parts of that today. I love what he says here, where Judah and Ephraim are not going to harass each other anymore. They're not going to be enemies anymore. They're not going to be divided, but they're going to be together. That gives us hope for our relationships. Maybe we have brokenness in our relationships. That God, as the gospel works in and through us, as we let our light shine before men, God's at work. And if God is able to take Judah and Israel and unite them, God's able to use the brokenness in our life and to be reconcilers. He's able to reconcile me to himself. He can reconcile those of us who are broken together. So I see a great hope from our past. Our past can be used by God and is used by God for his glory. 
using our story for his glory for our present. Jesus is reigning even right now. It's what Isaiah is picturing, that this Messiah was going to rule forever. Well, guess what? We're in that forever. There's hope for our relationships with others. And in the future, well, there's going to be a future gathering. As he shines that signal or hangs that banner, there's going to be a future gathering of the ones who are banished, as Isaiah said, and dispersed. Within that, within that gathering, in the Messiah, we're going to have unity. We're going to have peace. And it's all under Jesus. So we look at our past, we look at our present, and we look at our future. And it has hope. There is so much hope that we have, but it's all tied to the work and person of our Messiah. And we're either trusting our Messiah or we're not. So I'm very thankful for Isaiah chapter 11. And it's been an honor to, to journey with Professor Dean of the Crockpot as it helped us to understand the text today. And thank you for putting up with our internet issues tonight. Again, we're, we're praying for Florida, and we're so grateful for you, O listener. God bless you. We'll see you next week. As always, I'm Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. I'm Crockpot. This has been Masterclass Theology. God bless. Amen. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.